The Athletic. I think looking back, it is going to be games like that. You know, Brentford are a decent team, but they're not an elite team. That could be the kind of game, dropping two points in a game like that, that you look back on and think that was the difference at the end of the season. Welcome once again to The View from the Lane, the Tottenham Hotspur podcast. And I'm Danny Kelly and I'm joined by the Athletics' Jack Pickbrook and James Moore today. And of course, I continue to wish you season's greetings. Um, hey, uh, Jack and uh, hey, James, good Christmases, all good? Very good, thank you. Yeah, lovely, thank you. Yeah, how's your injury, James? People ask you a lot about your leg, your long leg injury. Well, I, one, I think that's a lie and no one's asked about it because I've checked the comments on the app. Uh, interestingly, when you're not a Premier League footballer, the, the diagnosis is far more vague. Uh, so having been to physio on Friday, I'm now being told it might be hamstring and not a doctor, which is a shame because obviously it's not the same injury as Ben Tenko, but it is nonetheless quite a lot better. Thank you. Good. Um, we, we want to see you up and about properly very, very soon. All right, listen, um, we're so glad that all of you listen to the podcast, new people coming all the time, and the regulars are just as valued. One of the great dangers we have, of course, um, is if the team, the club, the manager, um, the whole organisation puts us in a position where we start to sound like Groundhog Day. So forgive me if I try um, to swerve that over the next few minutes because um, the game against Brentford, the build-up to it, the press conferences, as several people on Twitter did say, and I'm not a liar, Danny, you might as well put out the same podcast you've been doing for the past two months. Let's not do that. Um, actually, before we talk about Brentford per se, let's not forget that the uh, vagaries of the Christmas holiday meant that the only person from the podcast who actually saw the game was Tim Spears, our own Tim Spears, bless him. He can't be with us this morning, but he's left us a note of his impressions of that 2-2 draw at the GTEC. Guys, hello. Danny, Jack, James, Merry Christmas to you all and to all our listeners. Hope you all had a fantastic time. And yeah, back down to uh, back down to reality with Spurs on Boxing Day. I drove down from the Midlands first thing in the morning, uh, full of hope, full of optimism. You know, new Spurs, second half of the season. Let's see what Conte has been working on on the training ground. And uh, yeah, it was the same old Spurs, really. Uh, I've written a piece about it. Uh, which you can read in The Athletic today, kind of saying this. basically this game could have been played on November the 12th. Sinners, it was the usual mix of um, slow starts, certain players underperforming, certain players playing well, no surprises really in, in who were the standout players and the pattern of the game. But I guess you've got to say, you know, Spurs' powers of, of recovery are, are, are pretty remarkable. And it was it was an impressive comeback again, you know. Despite the despite the pattern of results and how the games have been going for so long now, I still didn't see that comeback uh, coming. But they did do really well in that second half. I guess if you were going to look at some positives, you say Doherty and Kulisevsky down the right combined really well. I mean, Doherty didn't particularly have a great game, but he facilitated. I think Kulisevsky being their most potent and dangerous creative player, as you'd expect. Son had had patches of good play, but. No finishing touch, which is a similar story with his season. I thought Longley was good, Hoiberg, and of course Kane, who got to pay tribute to his remarkable sort of mental strength and character. We know he's overcome setbacks in the past, but this is certainly the most public one that he's experienced. Brentford supporters didn't make it as sort of hard for him as I, as I thought they would do. It wasn't really a barracking, it was a gentle boo or two, but still, it was very recent, that France game. So for him to score one, 
could easily have scored the winning goal, of course, and his general all-round play was very good, particularly in the second half. So, yeah, we'll see what happens uh, against Villa at the weekend. You'd imagine Lloris, maybe Romero, and hopefully Bentancourt will all be back, but I'm sure it'll be a very similar story. New Year, same Spurs. Yeah, thanks to Tim Spears there for his eyewitness account of what we could all see on the television tricky start and all the rest of it. Thanks, Tim, for that. Let's get stuck into it now. Spurs against Brentford. A 2-2 draw at the GTEC. James, it looks like uh, it looks like a, a probably an opportunity lost, but once again, in the circumstances, it's very hard to know how to read the game without, as I say, just going through the what the hell's going on with that selection and it starts. Yeah, I mean, the fact that it's happened so many times does really kind of diminish the enjoyment of coming from two goals down because the obvious takeaway from that is... If they had played anywhere near the level they did in the last, not even just half an hour for me, but probably like hour really, for the whole game, they probably would have won. And I think I think looking back, it is going to be games like that. You know, Brentford are a decent team, but they're not an elite team. That could be the kind of game, dropping two points in a game like that, that you look back on and think that was the difference at the end of the season if things then go as we hope. There are a group of teams, Brentford and Brighton are among them, who are not elite teams, but they soon tell you very quickly whether you're an elite team or not. Um, and that, that was one, that's one of their purposes in the league. Jack, the, the specifics are stark. We, we, I think we have to stop thinking about these things in coincidence and start talking about the pattern. That is six Premier League games succession where Spurs have gone behind. The single biggest crime in modern football, you know, you can't concede the first goal and win the games by and large. It is nine successive games in all competitions where they've gone behind first. Could, could the manager do something about it? You know, he says that afterwards the players need to just be more aware and start with greater efficiency and all the words that he uses. Could he do something about it? Is it is it systemic? It has to be. It has to be. I mean, it's clearly not, it's, as you say, it's clearly not coincidental. And obviously, you know, I'm, Conte's not the one out on the pitch. Conte, there's only so much Conte can do, but... The manager has to, the manager has to take responsibility for what happens on the pitch. The manager has to set the tone, both you know tactically and also psychologically. And clearly, he is failing to get through to the players. I think like he's the the fact that they start so bad every single game and it really impedes their chances of winning every game that they play. And you know they can't always you know it's not always going to be Bournemouth or Marseille. Or any of you know leads, yeah, th- yeah. The rare circums- the rare times where they are able to turn it around, th- that has to be on him, and he he has to f- he has to fix it really. And he there's no evidence that yet yeah, that he has found a way to fix it. And what's so damning is that I think I think a lot of people hoped that after six weeks off there would be a you know a fresh start, you know, it'd be like a new season and everything would you know clean slate for everyone, all that kind of stuff. And yet this is kind of, kind of a reminder that you know clean slates and fresh starts don't really exist. You know that you're the same Tottenham are the same team they were before the World Cup. The players are the same players they were before the World Cup, and the problems are the same as they were before the World Cup. But I don't. Um, I'd love to know what, what the solution is, but I don't know what it is. I would say there's some mitigation in that game in terms of like the, the pitch. I, I cannot believe how bad that pitch was. You know, we would sometimes refer to that as kind of being like a football league standard pitch, but like that is like a it was like a non-league standard pitch. And I mean, I know they've had rugby on there, but I, I would say. You're a Premier League club, you're making enough money from television to not have to host rugby if the effect of having rugby on your pitch is going to be that. And, you know, it didn't impede Brentford as much as it did Spurs because Brentford's primary tactic, more often than not, and particularly in that game, is just hack the ball 60 yards up the pitch over the top of the centre-backs and the strikers 
And sure enough, the ball's going to hold up every time and it's, the grass is that lot. Didn't think the referee was great either. I'm amazed that that wasn't a penalty in in the, in this day and age. VAR. I, I, I'm talking about me on Kane in the second half. I, I mean, I, you know, I don't think we need to analyse that too much. But I mean, I'm amazed it wasn't given. The central floor of VAR. If he'd given it, the VAR would have backed him up. He didn't give it, so they backed him up, which shows you what VAR is there for to back up the referees. So we now have making the same mistakes they were making five years ago, but now they've got technical backup for it as well. It's a shame that they've decided to use it that way in this country. Let's not go through the speech again because, again, we're going to be, be accused of, of Groundhog Day. The third point would be, that obviously, the number of players Spurs had at the World Cup compared to Brentford. Uh, Brentford have had most of their players. You know, we talked on commentary a lot on Amazon about the link-up between the two strike partnerships. Well, Tony and Mbemo have spent the last six weeks, or probably not six weeks, last three weeks training together every day. And obviously, Son and Kane have been back together for like two or three days. So that clearly is going to make a difference. And, and, and Spurs were incredibly stodgy at the start of that game. I mean, it was it was insane how, like off the pace everyone looked and then if you compare it to the end of the game it was kind of like chalk and cheese so obviously it did take them a bit of time to feel their way in which would again be mitigation for the fact they've gone two down and come back but as Jack says if, when it's happening in every game it's, it, it can't just be a coincidence but you know the commentators at the end of the first half said well Conte would tell them they have to play with more intensity and pass the ball more quickly and move more quickly but those instructions could be given at the start of the game because you know Jack refers to a speech I once made when I first came onto this podcast and turned it into the award-winning juggernaut it is today. And that when I said, you know, you can tell what's going to happen with Spurs depending on how they start. If they start quick, they do well. But they've now it's almost policy not to start quick. Um, and I, it, it, it was painful. And you're right. The build-up, whatever they were trying to do, however they were trying to control the game, defend their goal and attack, was horrendous to watch. It was stodgy. I can't think of a team... Forgive me, help me with this. Is there a team that are worse to look at than Spurs were in that first 20 minutes? Where they where they literally think that to pass the ball to a static colleague than to walk like you're one of those 60-year-old footballs to the next position and hope that he can get the ball around the corner to you. It's just awful to behold. And in contrast to the way some other teams are playing, we'll come on to that in just a second. You have to give them credit for coming back. Because it's the hardest thing to do in the Premier League is to come back from those early go- one goal, never mind two. I'm going to say this. Thank whatever God or natural power that you worship that Pierre-Emile Hoiberg is a Spurs player and not wearing another shirt. He has all kinds of limitations, that man. But what if one of them is not knowing that he's beaten. And he just keeps going and going. And along with Kane, who grew into the game, as we knew he would, all that cobblers in the newspapers oh he'll be set back now by the missing the penalty every setback Harry Kane has had in his career he has correct if I'm wrong maybe the hangover from the Champions League final he has just said right well you know let's fire on then let's keep going and and again all that extraordinary stuff 10 Boxing Day goals he's now scored against all 32 sides Brentford with the exception of whom he's faced in the Premier League 32 he'll soon He'll soon have scored against half the teams in professional football in the Premier League. Thank God for him as well. Um, and I suppose, that you know, the team spirit. But there were flaws in the team before we even started. Now, look, I want to talk about Jaffet Tanganga. It's impossible to be definitive because he doesn't get a run of games. But even under when he had that run under Mourinho, there was a part of me that was saying, this lad is going to end up at Fulham, isn't he? With all due respect to the cottagers. Um, because I don't see what... I don't see what AC Milan see in him, put it that way. And he got 
against I mean Boma's a real hard worker and Ivan Tony is all kinds of things. But Jackie, he got beasted in the in that first hour, didn't he? And then got pulled, of course. Yeah, I it it, it, look, it was tough for him because this was his first first Premier League appearance since uh twenty third of January, so eleven months. And I was surprised to see his name on the team sheet at the start. I have to be honest, I didn't I didn't see that one see that one coming. And no, I I, di- I didn't think he played very well. And I think I broadly agree with you. I don't think he's going to. I don't think he's going to make it at Tottenham. To be honest, clearly, I mean, look, there, there's a kind of Romero issue here, which is that they're just a completely different team with and without Romero. Even even accepting the fact that Romero wasn't really at his absolute best in the first half of the season. Well, his mind was elsewhere, shall we say. And hopefully yeah. he'll be refocused now. But, I, you know, I, I was I was expecting Davison Sanchez to play this game on the on, on the right of the back three, who, you know, uh, people have their issues with. He's not an amazing player, but I think he's he's obviously a better defender than, than, than Tanganga and a better all-round player, who's, who, you know, who's played pretty well for Tottenham over the course of, what, five and a half years, Sanchez. Um, so, yeah, I thought, I thought that that, decision to start him was strange and I thought his performance was was pretty poor. We haven't mentioned the fact that uh, the ever-present um, Emerson Royale was left out uh, from the start. Don't know if there was a fitness issue. I don't think there was. I mean, I think Matt Doherty's um, performances in, in friendly matches has got him a start. And of course, he finds himself then trying to play against somebody, uh, you know, alongside somebody who's struggling. I thought Doherty did all right in the second half um, when Spurs got up the pitch because, of course, that's what he's good at. Um, we mentioned Hoiberg and Kane and of course, uh, they are as reliable as you could hope to be at that at this level of football. Um, we should we should mention the return of Kulusevski though, because it wasn't one of those games where he dominated. But as Spurs got into their rhythm, he once again was, the, I think, the central to what they were trying to do. I thought he was good. I thought he um, his ability to burst past opponents, even though he's not especially quick himself is still really, really impressive. And, you know, this also I think probably the pitch played a factor as well in in Kulisewski's performance. You know, he's obviously a player who wants to play with the ball on the ground, which was pretty difficult to do at times yesterday. Uh, also, I just want to add on a more positive note. Uh, I, I absolutely loved Kane's header. Yeah, the way, that's good. You know, like kind of going... The you way called he's, it on going, well, I think, like that Arsenal. Arsenal, yeah. When they beat Arsenal in February 2015 in the first Pochettino season, it was from the, it was from the other side. No, it wasn't. It, it just looked like it was from the other side because of the camera. He was on the right-hand side of the goal in both instances. The way he's kind of... His body weight is going backwards, and yet he's still strong enough to propel the ball back in the other direction over the goalkeeper into the opposite corner of the net. It, yeah, it was just like that Arsenal one. Or, 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 weirdly, almost um, eight years ago. So, yeah, in February, it'll be the eighth anniversary of that goal, uh, which was such a, a huge goal for Tottenham and for Kane at that point, and for Pochettino, really. Um, so yeah, I, I absolutely love that header, and that kind of uh, uh, that counts for quite a lot in the context of a game that was, you know, a lot. A lot of the rest of the game was pretty miserable, but that header was really good. And the one that hit the crossbar is a completely different skill that that sort of underheader he was doing. Um, and we would be having probably a very different conversation if that had gone in. Although, we, although we would be ha- the com- if that had gone in, the conversation we'd be having would be. It would still be like a bit Groundhog Day, but it would be you know we'd be talking about Leeds and Marseille and Bournemouth rather than the games which Tottenham were not able to to turn around and win. And uh, like, I think that like there's lots of I I kind of basically agree with you Danny that the like the worries about Kane at the moment and like is he going to be so is he going to be so upset by what happened against uh against France. I mean look Tottenham have got a lot of problems but Kane isn't one of them. 
you know, Kane, there's a long, there's, you know, if you've got to put a list of all the problems that Tottenham have got at the moment, Kane is probably on page 10. So uh, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I don't worry about Kane's application or mentality. One more thing on this. What do you guys think about Son? I was literally just, just, just about to do the link. And regular listeners will know that I can turn any conversation around to Bob Dylan. So let me do it here. Um, those of us who loved Bob Dylan in the 60s and 70s then could go through long periods of listening to his new albums, hoping that he has refound Bob Dylan. And every 20 years, you're rewarded with Time Out of Mind or more recently, Rough and Rowdy Ways. And I think I'm becoming like this with, with Son now, where I know Son is great. I have seen it with my own eyes. Um, and he then has these games, and I think, ah, he's coming back to himself. I thought it was one of those. I actually thought he had one or two decent touches compared to the the sort of clumsathons that he's been presenting to us for both career um, and Spurs in recent days. But that may be me and wishful thinking. I'm all I am, Doctor Pangloss. I'm always looking for the glass to be half full. Was I wrong? Did Son do anything to to make us think he's going to get out of this? This slough that he's in. So, Danny, it sounds like you're almost saying it's not dark yet, but it's getting there. Oh, yes. Well, thank you very much indeed. Yeah. Don't get he's, it. He's, he's, Don't get it. Yeah, well, from time out, listen to time out of mind, yeah. mate. Catch, catch up on your culture. Get up and do some culture. Instead of spending all your time in physio. Who was the weird band? That, uh, well, there's some interview with Bob Dylan, like over Christmas, where he said the he Klaxons. liked the weird band. He said he liked the Claxons. Claxons. And, and Coronation Street. Yeah, yeah. Mad about Coronation Street. And he referred to Oasis as the Gallagher Brothers. Yes, and he also said, I don't listen to any dog arse, which was the phrase he used for watching or listening to things that are not interesting. Dog arse, he used the phrase, and I were using dog ass um, ongoingly from now on. The image of Bob sitting at home listening to the, listening to the uh, from Atlantis to Interzone is kind of blow, has kind <laughs> of blown my that. mind You're a bit. You're loving that. He loves yeah. New Rave. He loves New Rave. Is, is Son making any progress towards Time Out of Mind, do you think? Or is it, or is it, or, or is it going to be knocked out, loaded for the rest of the season? <laughs> I thought he tried. I thought he he wanted the ball and he made some good runs and he, as in like runs with the ball. He kind of he maybe tried clearly like confidence delivery not quite happening. He thought yet, he'd scored the win, didn't he? With that shot later on, he really thought I that was going in. Was com- I didn't think he was a passenger. No, I agree. If he if he had played like that off the back of like a first chunk of the season where he scored seven or eight goals, we wouldn't be having a conversation about him having played badly. We might, we might not be like saying he played well, but I don't think anyone, we, we wouldn't be coming out of that and recording a podcast where we were worried about how Son had played. And I think sometimes players don't always come back with a bang. Sometimes it's kind of a slower build up. And that was a better before. It, like, like Jack says, he wasn't the passenger, he was involved. He was, you know, he, he had a few shots, he had a few runs with the ball. He didn't ever shy away from collecting the ball off another player. And it wasn't brilliant. And I don't think his output was incredible, but he was not dreadful that is, an, that that is a way of putting it tremendous accounting there he was not dreadful i hope that uh that son because he's he's not an old player um we can it has to be something that will click back into place um as we've seen particularly in the champions league and the world cup in the last 18 months forward players in their mid-30s are dominating tournaments um it, there's no reason to think he won't come back to whatever the, but Oh, there the is. forward players who are dominating tournaments in their mid-30s, are they, to what extent do they rely on their speed? Because the thing that, if I was to be, to take a pessimistic view on Son, is that Son is 
you know, he's obviously a fantastic player. The way he's a great, very natural finisher. The way he strikes the ball is fantastic. But he is very reliant on you know being able to dribble past players at high speed, and you know, in a way that say Lewandowski or Benzema or are not. And if Son has lost his, if Son has lost his ability to make those kind of high speed runs past players, then. I think it's a problem. Why have you said that at Christmas? Yeah, we, I don't know. I don't know if that's, that's, if that's necessarily yeah, that makes, the case. He's injured. He's got a bad leg. And you're saying this? I've got a bad leg. Why are you saying that? It's it Christmas. might be. It might be. You know. It, it might be that the reasons for his dip are, you know, just nat- natural variation or motivation or just one of those things. Like it's. I'm not saying that he's definitely lost his ability to make to. to no, do you're no, used, you're saying he's like do. the old priest in Father Ted playing football. You are. But I'm saying that you know it's. Uh, let let's wait and see. Let let's see how he does over the second half of the season before we we make any judgments on this. Game by game, I shall compare him to one of the 1980s or 90s or 2000s Bob Dylan album, and we'll see him going up and down accordingly. All right, let's take a break. When we come back, we uh, we'll have the the fun of first half of the season, which with all its complications for Spurs. Then the World Cup, and now very soon, if you open a window, you can hear it creaking open. The tra- well, in fact, Liverpool have already got Cody Gakpo, um, so the transfer window is up and running. We'll discuss that next. What Spurs might, will, realistically could uh, do about that. You're listening uh, to the View from the Lane. Uh, James Moore's with us. So is Jack Pitt Brook, um, Danny Kelly, um, and one day, one day, Son will hear this and demand a transfer. Yeah, welcome back to The View from Lane. Thanks very much for listening. And again, season's greetings to you all. James Moore, Jack Pitbrook and me, Danny Kelly, all these days proud to be associated with The Athletic and with The View from the Lane podcast. The, the solstice has been, my birthday's been, the Christmas has been, which means we're now into the January transfer window. Um, of course, social media is just full of Spurs need to buy three, four, five, six players. They have to be better than four, five, six of the first team. Um, we're going to get them a mixture of bargains like last January, or we're going to have to spend tons of money. All complicated, of course, chaps, um, by Antonio Conte linking the transfer window to his own future, um, which in turn links to Harry Kane's future. I'm going to keep my um, my thoughts to myself about Conte and his tactics because, uh, again, we don't want to be repeating ourselves. Let's try and be realistic about... Um, about this transfer window, Conte himself said, um, if there is an opportunity to strengthen the squad, we will do something. Um, uh, he also then tries to head Daniel Levy off at the pass by saying that, uh, you know, the, the club has a policy of signing young players and not signing players on big salaries. You've no, I mean, you've no way of knowing this, Jack, but what's going to happen? Well, the, the the funny thing about those that particular quote from Conte is, so that was at his pre-match press conference on the 23rd of December and I I asked him what do you want Tottenham to do in the transfer window and he started off by saying well it's not right to talk about this and then he said he said what he said but he initially said um you know what is our politics you know very well what is our politics and we will try to follow it and at the time and immediate my immediate reaction to this was to think does he mean sort of internal politics with Daniel Levy and Prasci because if so that's a very revealing thing for I him think to he say. meant so I policies asked him, I asked him yeah. yeah so I did ask him to clarify 
when you say politics, do you mean policy, as in what the club will do? And he then clarified it and said, yeah, like he, it was clear that he, he meant the word policy, not the word politics. And that, that policy being, as he put it, young players and players not with big salaries. So clearly he knows that, you know, there will not be, you know, there won't be sanctioning any Ivan Perisic, richarlison sized deals this January. And it, it will be a January driven very much by the you know the traditional Tottenham approach to to January transfer windows. But I, uh, look, I I'm really interested to see. James That's a Martin. euphemism for not signing anyone, isn't it? Not necessarily, but I think it's a euphemism for not signing Hakimi. But yeah, I'm I I I, I, I certainly f- I do feel a bit like Conte is maybe holding something back. I mean, he's clearly holding something back because he said you know it's not right to talk about this. And then he kind of um, he gave us slightly more predictable answer. Do we have any idea who these players are, Jack? Well, I think they want Pedro Porro, a Sporting Lisbon and Spain right wing back, who I think would be kind of exactly what they what they need. I think it's kind of dependent on what the price is. So there were some reports in Portugal the other day about they were talking about a thirty five million euro move. I don't know if that would be outside of what Tottenham would want to pay for I think, a player. I think his, his release is forty-five million, but uh, I wouldn't be expecting. You know, the uh, Iberian release clauses have very little um, connection with reality, do they? You know, um, and they've also got the they can negotiate Marcus Edwards' um, sell-on clause as part of it if they wanted to. Um, though I suspect hanging on to Marcus Edwards' uh, uh, clause in the long term may well be the more profitable uh, route. It's been it's been unusual in that um, I think James, there's been more speculation among fans than there has been even in the sort of in the nose in the press about who these players might be. I partially, I guess, because let's be truthful. Well done to Paratici and and, and Conte because because they pulled Kulusevski and Benton Kerr out of nowhere this time a year ago. I mean, I, I, the other thing I say about that is. Uh, there is the possibility there aren't like a massive number of targets, so there's less likelihood of things coming out. I mean, it would be quite nice if they could pluck two players out like that, two, two completely transformative signings in a January transfer window that like immediately re-energise the team, bump them up the league a couple of places, uh, and give a sense of optimism for future seasons. If, if they can, that, that's that's all I ask. That's all I ask. Two amazing bargain deals of players who are obviously absolutely incredible. And are, and are ready to come straight yeah, into the Premier League football. Exactly. Oven ready, yeah. I mean, there's just no there's no chance that's going to happen. Happened last year. Tell me, tell me somebody who Spurs might be looking at. I'll I'll start to to ease you into it. Um, given their obsession with the with Serie A, and um, and of course Serie A has its own obsession with age. I suppose some of the coming to the end of their contract centre halves at Inter will be um, causing Antonio to lose sleep. Skriniar. Vry, whoever it's going to be. That's the kind of thing I can see them doing. Hopefully bunging into Milan a few bobs so that they'll come now rather than have to wait for the for the new season. Anybody else? It's going to sound very lazy journalist of me, but I can't be bothered with another, another Tottenham being linked with any more Inter Milan centre-backs. Good. After Skriniar and Bastoni, it's been... Um, Bastoni's not going anywhere, is he? No. I've actually gone for an Inter Milan right wing back to mix it up. Maybe this is just like my World Cup brain, but how about Denzel Dumfries? I can't say I watch a lot of Serie A, but every time I've seen him play for Holland, uh, he's looked pretty good. I'm literally basing this on seeing him, like, w- watching Holland games. I think he had some good moments at the Euros um, two years ago, but but he kind of gets into the final third. He, his delivery looks fine. 
Uh, he's de- he definitely looks better going forward than Emerson Royale. And yet, and yet the very fact that Inter Milan would consider Royale as a replacement for him should set the alarm bells ringing, shouldn't it? Have you got one, James? Have you got one? What you're saying about Skriniar, I mean, I, I, I think the problem's going to be that PSG apparently wants him. You look at a deal like that and think, oh, that could be a way of getting a really good player for a decent price. But then, like, it, it, even PSG are going to be interested in signing someone like that. So that is going to be difficult. I have to say, taking the temperature of this conversation with my elbow in the water, I have to hope that they've got another Benton Kerr up their sleeve rather than uh, rather than listening to us lot speculating about players who... Let's be fair. Centre-back who's that good. That's what they want. And the and the outgoings, I mean, I don't know what to say about Brian Hill and Yafit Tanganga and Jed Spence. The Spence thing, we are now going to see a player who... And again, Serie A is not the championship. The championship is not Serie A. But a player who went a long way to dominating the promotion race last year in the championship is going to leave Spurs. And I suppose, in Antonio's mind be swept away forever without ever getting a real chance. Um, Hill, I, I understand a bit more. He physically doesn't look ready. But these are, you know, the, the the young players in the squad, the younger players in the squad, he'll want them out of there, won't he? They're all, they're all, I presume, on their way in January. Uh, if they can get replaced, if they can, if somebody comes in for Brian Hill on loan or Tanganga and they can get a, and they can get a better replacement who doesn't cost them a lot of money, then I'm sure they would be open to doing that. I mean, they were open to doing that with Hill in the at the end of the summer. You know, if they were going to get a replacement, they would have loaned him back to Valencia. I'm sure that would still be attractive. And to be honest, the way that Tottenham have done in the first half of the season, they're going. You know, it, it, they need more experienced players now. Like it's obvious what Conte was getting at. I think. Like they're they're not good enough, I think, to have you know fringe players in the squad who aren't ready to come in and affect games instantly. I understand it. it's very difficult the Premier League. There are no games where you can just try people out. Um, I I would have been happier with this if he hadn't, for instance, in the case of Spence. And I don't know. I honestly don't know whether Jed Spence um is is the next uh, Hakimi or is a dud. I I've got no way of knowing that. I don't see him in training, etc. But when the manager talks about you in the way that he does. Um, from the moment the club got hold of him, um, I'd be, I would have been happier if he'd had a more open mind or at least expressed a more open mind, even if he had no intention of playing the lad. But there's a bit of an, there, there's like, I think this kind of points to one of the issues with having Conte as Tottenham manager, which is that if you have Conte as Tottenham manager, his job is to help you win as soon as possible, to help, help you succeed and improve as soon as possible in probably a short time frame. With experienced and established players, that's what he's always done. So, if you you can't get Conte, and then think, oh, well, isn't it a shame that he's not playing Tanganga, Spence, Saar, and Hill? Um, now, you know, never mind the next generation of academy players coming through. And I'm sure some Spurs fans would like those players to play, and they'd like to see Parrot play, and White, and they'd like yeah, to see yeah, Alfie sure, White play, sure. and Divine, and so, uh, and Scarlett. And I completely get that. But if you have Conte. He's not going to play the kids. Like he's just not going to play the kids. Like there's no, you know, study uh, any aspect, uh, you know, any of the last big jobs he's worked in. That's not how he operates. And so, I think that you've really got to take one or the other. Like if you want, if you want Conte, you're not going to get. He's not going to play the kids, and you have to sign him twenty-eight year olds. If you want to play the kids, if you want the manager who plays the kids, don't get Antonio Conte in charge. And this is, you know, Spurs have made their bed on this, and I think that. I think that, that that is just the way of it. Jack, Jack, is is there a manager currently available who would play the kids? Yeah, I mean, look, Tottenham could, Tottenham could change direction in the summer. 
They could. I'm not they saying may, they will. They may have to. They may have to. Yeah, exactly. Look, I mean, that, the, 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 um, and we're back to this bloody contract again. We've gone full circle. I said I wouldn't, but I will. I'll only do one sentence on it. If he doesn't sign a contract, talking about backing him is nonsense. That it's true, nonsense. yeah, completely. You can't exactly. You can't like chuck eighty million pounds at him in January and expect him to then sign a contract and then like him not sign the contract, things to not go immediately well, and him then to walk away. And you've got a right wing back who spent fifty million quid on when you're going to bring in the next manager who isn't going to play that system. Uh, it's like you know, you kind of need the commitment before you do that. I think, and I, I mean, I mean, I don't know that the politics as intimately as as someone like Jack does, but I wouldn't be surprised if that was a problem or part of the conversation. I think they should either. I think they brought that very, very broadly. Tottenham have got two options, and by Tottenham, I basically mean that Daniel Levy's got two options. One is keep Conte, new deal for Conte. Conte-type players in, in January, Conte-type players in the summer, and then, I mean, clearly this season they're not going to win the league. Then Hopefully they'll get fourth. And then, then hopefully next season they'll be really, really good. Let's call that plan A. That's kind of the all-in Conte approach. Or option B is it doesn't work out with Conte. You say, well, we tried it this way, but now it's time to go back in the direction that we've kind of ignored, really, for the last five years, which is more of the sort of young players' long-term development um, bringing through all these guys we just mentioned, the guys trying the academy, to play on the front foot, with trying a manager, to play in the first half. Yeah, with with a manager who has a sort of three year, five year plan. Those are basically the two options. What they can't do, and what sorry, what 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 they shouldn't do, is to get caught like halfway between option A and option B because that's not going to work. I mean, I think if you look, at, at, and this is obviously like partly uh, predetermined by the conditions at the club, i.e., finances and whatever else. But if you look at the last. 20 years and you look at the managers that have worked and you look at the managers that haven't broadly speaking and, uh, and diplomatically we'll say Jory's out on Conte uh, uh, and obviously that's because he's done very well and there have been bad bits but look uh, he's the current manager so we'll say that's void. The managers who have clearly taken pleasure out of developing players and squeezing the most out of players, Pochettino Redknapp, who despite all of the leaning out of car window, fantastic manager obviously, fantastic loved, football obviously manager. loved squeezing loads out of like players who were seeming, uh, previously kind of seen as being quite limited uh, and Martin Yarl who obviously had a very young team when he took over uh, those would be the three most successful you would say uh, and they've all been the three out of all of those managers in the last 20 years who have taken that approach that's pretty stark isn't it? I also think just for what it's worth that Conte has played his hand as hard as he always does but there comes a point doesn't there um, and we know it from human relationships as well as business where you keep threatening to leave, the other person eventually says, okay, I factored that into my, I factored my pain in um, of you leaving, of me being alone, of having to pay you conversation with the others. Go and leave if you want to. If that's what you want to do, do it, but shut up about it. That, and, we all, and we all get to that point with people. And, and I'm, I must admit, I've got there rather quicker than Daniel Levy. But the idea that there is no alternative, this is self-deluding nonsense. Name me one football club in world football doesn't have a manager. There are managers out there. There are coaches out there. There are strategies out there. And it can't be all or every single egg is in one rather fragile basket, which may or may not hold together until the end of the season. Nah, that don't work for me at all. 
one last thing. We were going to do the quiz, but um, I will be honest and say I hadn't worked hard enough on preparing the quiz. And also, um, the quiz without the snarling presence of Eccleshare somehow has lost some of its allure. Um, because I, Sharp I, elbows, Charlie. Absolutely. A, a quiz with proper jeopardy where lifelong um, friendships may be um, sundering. Uh, depending on the answers. But uh, so I thought I'd do something else uh, to end the show, just a couple of minutes. Um, and you forgive me that I haven't prepared you for this, and I deliberately haven't prepared you for this, um, because uh, I want to get your honest answers, one from a Spurs fan in the form of James and one from a seasoned Spurs observer in the form of Jack. Um, there's a an elephant in the room, a truth that dare not speak its name. Um, and I'm going to ask you this. Given all we talked about, the way Spurs are playing at Brentford, the transfer window, the current circumstances, the manager, all the rest of it. Does all this, is it all thrown into a different light by the fact that at the other end of the Seven Sisters Road, a team is playing on the front foot with tremendous vigour, team spirit and balance and playing, arguably, I'm trying to think of a team that's playing better in Europe right now, arguably the best football in Europe. Does it matter, James, Arsenal is so good? I mean, logic dictates that it shouldn't, but obviously I think it does. Because look, look, ultimately, this Arsenal team are a team that has been developed over a longer period under a manager with a longer-term vision and a willingness to develop players. So they've also spent a few bob. To be fair, uh, so. yeah. yeah, 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 they have. Yeah, 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 yeah. But the reality is, they've had a longer-term project. They've been able to buy into and build up momentum gradually over time, rather than what some other clubs maybe have had in recent times. And Jack, leaving aside the fact that Manchester City now find themselves challenged by a club whom they've given both the manager and their best players to. Um, and maybe it's just a, a game of chicken that, Ch- that City are playing. Should should we as Spurs observers, fans, fanatics, whatever the people listening to this podcast are, should we be concerned? Should it matter to us what's going on two and a half miles away? Well, I mean, it's not for me to tell Tottenham fans what to feel, but I think what what Arsenal success shows is that it's, I mean, we were talking earlier about plan A being kind of win now with experienced players and plan B being built for the future. I think what Arsenal shows is that plan B doesn't mean that you can't challenge. It just means you have to wait a bit longer. Uh, as I've always said, the team that this Arsenal team really reminds me of is Pochettino Spurs. You know, they've got a young manager with a very clear idea of how he wants to play and very good young players. They've actually spent more money, I think, than, you know, Pochettino Spurs never got to buy like a Gabriel Jesus type player. Um, but they, you know, a lot about them does remind me of Potch's Spurs. Um, and they've got that same sense of, you know, being on a being on an upwards trajectory with players who've never really achieved anything as a group before. And that makes it kind of exciting to see whether or not they are going to go on and, and win things. So I'm sure that Arsenal's success will make some people at Tottenham think, you know, maybe, maybe the long-term rebuild is... It, it, is the way to do it rather than just trying to, um, you know, rather than just trying to invest or put all your chips on the next two seasons, which is really what what Tottenham have been doing ever since they sat Pochettino and hired Mourinho uh, back in 2019, so th- three and a bit years ago. I mean, it's, it's worth saying, by the way, Spurs sacked Pochettino and replaced him with Mourinho, I think, a month before Arsenal sacked Emery and bought in Arteta. So if Spurs hadn't gone for the sort of quick... And, and again, I, I, we've said this loads of times over the last three years. I completely understand it, why, why they did that and why it made sense. But if they had gone for a manager with a longer-term vision, and off the top of my head, I can't think who that would have been in, in November 2019. It obviously wouldn't have been Arteta. If Tottenham had sacked Pochettino 
and got in another guy for a long-term rebuild, like, uh, then I think a lot of the players would have said, hold on a second, we, you know, we just lost the Champions League final four months ago and you're getting rid of Pochettino for somebody who's for somebody who isn't like a big shot. I'm not sure we can stomach that. And I think that was the logic for Mourinho at the time. And of course, we know now that it was, that was a disaster. And maybe this whole strategic pivot of the club over the last three years is going to be a d- disaster as well. We don't know. But I can understand why they... I think it would have been a really hard sell at that moment to replace Pochettino with a guy for a rebuild. And you're, you're right to mention, you know, we were in the Champions League final, but these players, they're not stupid, or at least we give them credit for not being stupid. Um, and anybody could have sat them down in a room quietly and said, yeah, we made the Champions League final, but look at the background to that form. Look at their away form in the year either side of the Champions League final. Lads, you are a fading force, and we need to reinvigorate it one way or the other. And it is the way, one way or the other, that has become the argument um, at Spurs. To end on a positive note about Antonio Conte, it is clear that the players either fear him so much or like him so much that when they're 2-0 down, they don't give up. They come back and, and they have a go. They, there are many players out there who are clearly prepared to run through the proverbial brick wall. Maybe it's made of breeze blocks these days. I'm not, I'm not keeping up with my construction news. Um, but he has at least got that. Um, and so, you know, credit to him for that and credit to the players um, for coming back at Brentford and all these other places. Other starts are available, lads. Other starts are available. We all know what it looks like when the players are trying to get the manager sacked. Absolutely. Like, we've seen it a lot of times on him in the last three years. Watch the first half of that game, but that's what it looks like, to be fair. Or the first half of any of the last 10 games. Yeah, but then they but then they kind of undo it, don't they? So it's not like... If if you're really trying to get a manager sacked, you play like that for 90 minutes. And Tottenham, aren't, uh, Tottenham are not playing like that for 90 minutes. No, and they... And, and they end they, and they end up unlucky not to win the game, which after an hour would have been unthinkable. I know it is mad that you walk away from that, and I think I put it in our WhatsApp group after the game. It's actually quite annoying they didn't win after oh, all. Oh yeah, that. they're letting us down now. They were not coming back from two down away from home. They're letting us down badly. They got absolutely smashed on XG, and yet that Kane header against the bar, and then the little kind of mini scramble immediately afterwards. And Son's Son's shot with his left foot, which he, he clear he thought was going to go in. Um, and, and hopefully one day they will start going back in for him. Listen, thank you very much, chaps. Um, uh, J- James, I, I got to say, um, you know, good luck with your. Now that you've been misdiagnosed, we have to deal with you've got a different injury. You've gone from Benton Kerr to Kulusevsky, I think, haven't you? From adductor to to hamstring, yeah. Oh, that's true, actually. So we hope you hope you'll come back strong as ever. Uh, Jack, thank you very much indeed. Listen, both of you have a great new year. When we come back, we'll we'll be back straight after and we're getting back into having two shows a week. Thank you all for listening. We don't want it to be Groundhog Day, but uh, we try and bring new light, new nuance to all these arguments about the mighty Spurs, who again, you know, didn't lose the game. And that goes a long way in football. Thank you all for listening. Have a great new year. And remember, if you're not already an Athletic subscriber... Um, You can sign up to read all of the in-depth Spurs coverage this season. You just go to theathletic.com forward slash Spurs pod and sign up right now um, with our end of year offer of one pound or one dollar a month for the first 12 months. Uh, Theathletic.com forward slash Spurs pod. Thanks for listening. Uh, We'll be uh, back uh, next week with two shows. Happy New Year, everyone. The Athletic.